Hi, my name is Queen Zoya Counts, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Evil Lives Amongst Us, African American True Crime. Yes, I love true crime stories, but very seldom do I hear true crime stories about African Americans. So I created this podcast to share with my listeners about the true crimes that African Americans commit. So sit back, lend me your ears, and listen to some of the most horrendous crimes committed by My name is Queen Zoya Counts, and I would like to thank you for listening to my podcast, Evil Lives Amongst Us, True Crimes of African Americans. On today's podcast, I'm going to talk about the Browns, Deshaun Brown and David Jr. Brown. Now, these are two separate cases. But I wanted to talk about the both of them. So we're going to start off with Deshaun Brown. Deshaun Brown, in December of 2020, he was charged with killing three-year-old Nilo Lattimore and his mother, Natisha. Now, this happened in Cincinnati, where... I live, well, actually right across the river from where I live. And it was a huge, huge story on all the media channels, the local media channels, that is, because they were looking for Nilo and they could not find Nilo. And it really bothered me because this was right around Christmas time and the pictures they kept posting on the television set were of this beautiful little boy named Nilo. Oh, he was just gorgeous little boy, gorgeous little boy. And they were trying to find out what happened to him. So. We can get into the story a little bit and we can understand why Deshaun Brown claims that he killed these two people. Deshaun claimed that Natisha, who was pregnant with his child, had an abortion or that she killed his baby on purpose. But what happened, Natisha actually had a miscarriage. And that had nothing to do with him killing the, her baby Nilo. But Deshaun claims that he killed Natisha because she killed his baby when in all reality, she had a miscarriage. So he decided, if you kill my baby, I'm going to kill you and your baby. So he went on to go into our house on December 5th, and he stabbed her to death. He stabbed her to death. 
after he killed her. Now, this is really going to get you guys pissed off. He let her body sit in her apartment for five days. And then he used a body bag to remove it from the apartment. And when he did that, he also took an Uber, paid for an Uber to go and dump her body. So not only did he kill her, first of all, he had some little money, but he didn't have a car or whatever was going on. So he, he catches an Uber to go and dump her body. Go and dump her body. So can you imagine a Uber pulling up and here comes somebody with a body bag and they're dragging it and, and putting it in the car for, you know, who, who would even allow that to happen? Like someone had to know that it was a body bag. Someone had to smell the scent of the decaying flesh. I mean, it was what, five days that her body laid there. So goes on to say that he went to the Ohio River. And it goes on to say that he chose the Ohio River because it was closest. You know, he's in Cincinnati. He also went online to search body bags and cleaning products. So he was researching what he had to do, which leads me to believe that he was planning on killing her anyway for him to do the research all of that he was planning on killing her anyway they also had a screenshot of a surveillance video on December 11th which showed him carrying her body in a body bag through a hallway in her Walnut Hills apartment building and this was over in Cincinnati. But while he was keeping her body in the apartment, he went through her phone. He um, was acting like he was her posting and communicating through her Facebook account, um, putting up posts that said, I love him forever, Deshaun Brown, trying to make it seem as if she was still alive because she was posting on Facebook, which in all reality, he was going through her phone. Now, you know what? I'm telling you, these these people are trying to get smarter and smarter with their crimes on what they are doing. He had planned to murder her for up to two months. And that the killing, as described by an officer, said that it was probably premeditated because of all the attention, all the things that he did to try to disguise her death. And that's sad. Like if you, if you know, there had to be some other type of mental issues or mental problems going on with this dude for him to say, Hey, don't have no trust in her for him not to have any trust in her. We will never know. Cause we can't hear Natisha's side of the story, but for him to not have any trust in her and say, Hey, you, you didn't miscarry. You killed my kid. So I'm going to kill you. 
and I'm going to get rid of your kit. So basically, what? You couldn't just walk away. You couldn't just leave her alone. And she had to know there had to be some telltale signs. Was he abusive to her? What did he do? What happened? But what really takes the cake? And I know when you guys hear this, it's going to make you upset because it when I saw it on TV, I actually started crying. That's how upset it made me. Because what Deshaun did was take her son, three years old, the little boy who was still alive. He put him inside of a stroller. And when he got to the Purple People Bridge in Cincinnati, I've walked that bridge so many times. He dumped Natisha's body into the river. And then he threw Nilo, still strapped to his stroller, in the river. In the river. Alive. In the river. Alive. Think about that. This baby, this little boy. He probably was in the apartment for five days with his dead mother. Can you imagine that? And then his mother body thrown over the bridge. And here he is in a stroller. Don't know how to swim. Don't know what's going on. But then he's thrown in the river while he's in the stroller. Maybe he didn't have him strapped in the stroller. But. The stroller was found on December 13th, located in the river. On December 12th, Natisha's body was discovered. And then the stroller was discovered on the 13th. I remember watching the news as they were frantically scouring that river. They never found him. You're talking about lots of rain, snow, floods his body was probably washed away somewhere up the Ohio River you know but they never found his body they never found him to this day to this day July the what's this day July 14th 2022 they still have not found the baby's body Still has still haven't found it. So let me tell you what happened. And the baby, when you if you go online and you look it up, beautiful woman, beautiful boy, her little boy looked just like her. So we're gonna tell you what happened when he went to court. He went to court. June, it was, yeah, June the 24th, June the 23rd, something like that. He went to court and while he was in court, he was accused like they was talking about what he was accused of and all the different things that he was supposedly had done 
to Natisha and her son. And what happened? I'm going to tell y'all what happened. After he stabbed Natisha multiple times, dumped the body off the Purple People's Bridge, threw the baby into the river. Huh. The father, Tonio Hughes, the dad, the father, the father of Nilo Lattimore, Tonio Hughes, he was sitting in court during the pretrial hearing for Deshaun Brown. And he couldn't take it no more. And they have videos of Tonio Hughes rushing Brown and punching him in the right side of the head. Even when the two deputies tried to restrain him and put him into custody, he broke free and jumped on this dude again. Again, they found Hughes in contempt of court and sentenced him to seven days at the Hamilton County Justice Center. My God, he should not have not gotten any time. He should not even have been charged with contempt of court. Can you imagine sitting in a courtroom knowing that you will never see your son, knowing that you cannot fathom where his remains could be, and that this motherfucker sitting right here in this courtroom is alive while your three-year-old kid was dying in a dark, cold river right before Christmas. I would have done the same thing. I probably would have jumped over everybody and beat his ass. I would have given it to, I would have gave it to this dude. What are you talking about? And then they give him seven days and find him contempt of court. Come on. Y'all can't be serious. This man is heartbroken. He don't even have his son's remains or even a place to even mourn his child. So what would y'all have done? I know what I would have done. But the court systems is, can be so fucked up sometimes. Because I would have tried my best to kill that motherfucker for real. Now, I'm going to keep myself up to date on this case because that was pre-trial. He's supposed to go to court on October 17th. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen to him because he better get the death penalty. And this is a bad thing to say. I don't care. Hopefully the same fate that he gave Nilo will also happen to him. Now, we are going to talk about... David Jr. Brown. David Jr. Brown changed his name to Dawood Abdullah Muhammad. 
He was classified as a murderer. His characteristics was a mutilator. Number of victims, two. Date of murder occurred was August 24th, 1980. His date of birth was June 12th, 1948. The two victims that he was accused of killing was Shelly Diane Chafflinch and her daughter, Christine. Shelly was 26 and her daughter was nine. His method of murder was stabbing with the knife more than 100 times. And this happened in Moore County, North Carolina. His status, he was executed by lethal injection in North Carolina on November 19, 1999. I am going to talk about his government name, David Jr. Brown. He changed his name to Dawid Muhammad because he converted over into Islam. So therefore he changed his name. And I have found that a lot of uh, men who not even just men, I don't want to stereotype, but a lot of people who end up going to prison sometimes will become Muslims and change their names after they've committed a crime. But he stabbed the Moore County, North Carolina, North Carolina woman and her daughter to death in 1980. In 1980, I was in high school. It was my junior, no, 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 sophomore year, maybe freshman year in high school, sophomore, freshman. Um, when this occurred, I was living in Raleigh. But they go on to say that these two people, Di- Shelly and her daughter, Christine, was found stabbed hundreds of times in their apartment in the old employees quarters of the Pinehurst Hotel on August 24th, 1980. They said that the evidence against him was so overwhelming that his bloody palm print was left on the bedroom wall and that there was a trail of bloody footprints leading from her apartment to his and his silver ring that he wore all the time was found underneath her liver. So he stabbed her so much that his ring came off and it was fell under her liver. Brown goes on to say that he had run into Chow Finch, a secretary at the Pinehurst resort and country club site of the year's U S open in the community laundry room at the apartment house shortly before she was murdered. I could have been in passing. I'm not sure, he said. That question was put to me by the Pinehurst police. But according to the prosecutors, the murder weapon was a Forschner culinary knife similar to those that Mohammed used in the hotel kitchen. So he worked in the kitchen in the hotel. A Union County jury convicted Brown of the murders and sentenced him to die. In December of 1980. So Wes and Swanee Fry, the father and mother of Diana and grandparents of Christina, said they believe that Brown murdered their loved ones and they plan to witness the execution. You can't feel good about a death, but I feel like it's fair in this case. Fry said he thinks Brown was infatuated with his daughter, a suggestion that was never developed during the trial. There was also a clemency hearing because they was trying to stay. They didn't want the execution to go forward. 
And the state attorney general's office showed the governor pieces of evidence, including photos of the crime scene and the victims who had been mutilated, a section of the wall with blood on it, a partially bloody palm print later identified as Brown's and a ring belonging to Brown, which was discovered inside of Diane's body, slipping off his finger as he stabbed her. Hmm. But Muhammad's lawyers argue that the print could have been placed on the wall before the blood. Nothing could have prepared James Wise for what he would encounter the morning he walked into the blood-soaked apartment where the murders occurred. So basically what Chow Finch was trying to say was that he didn't do it. The building where the murders occurred is now an apartment complex. Wise remembers tracing the trail of bloody bare footprints from Chalfinch's apartments to Brown's ground floor apartment at the opposite end of the building. He saw blood on the door frame of Brown's apartment. He said that large amounts of blood had been cleaned up in Brown's apartment, although investigators never proved it was the victim's blood. See how this case is going? They never proved that it was the victim's blood that was all over his apartment and his footsteps. But the next day when they did um, an autopsy, that is when they found the silver ring under her liver. And there was a, no, a nosy neighbor in the apartment building where Brown and the victims lived, said he saw Brown wearing the ring hours before police said the killings occurred. And they were trying to say that, hey, your ring is in her liver. What else do we need to know? What else do we need to know? He said that he was innocent. At that time, he was 51 years old and he was sentenced to die for the 1980. Well, in 1999, he was sentenced. He had, he was 51 and he was sentenced to die for the 1980 stabbing deaths of Shelly and her daughter. But he's saying he's innocent. He didn't do it. Only thing they really had was the bloody palm prints and the ring. They say he was infatuated with her. Maybe he went there to spend some time with her and she didn't want to spend no time with them. So he got mad. He killed her. Who knows what happens? No one really knows what happened. They were co-workers at the Pinehurst Resort and Country Club. They lived in the same apartment complex behind a hotel. She was, he said she was a friend, but her family said he was infatuated with her. Who's to say? But according to Brown... He was innocent. He didn't do it. He had no previous record of violent behavior. 
And they didn't even test the blood to see if it was her blood. They just went on assumptions. A lot of the evidence was circumstantial. And it could have went either way. His lawyers requested to inspect the crime scene on four separate occasions before and during the trial, trial, but was denied access. The time frame that Brown had to commit the murders appears totally unrealistic. They say that, you know, he committed the murders on May 25th, August of 1980, between 3 a.m. after he was observed in the hotel lobby and 6 a.m., when he was recorded at his place of work. All the other times he was in the company of witnesses who could, who could provide him with an alibi, but the prosecution withheld evidence that a witness spoke to both the victims at 4:45 AM on the day of their murder, six miles from the crime scene. This would have left Brown with a one hour window in order to commit the crime and clean himself of the victim's blood and get to his place of work. His defense presented evidence from two witnesses at 11 p.m. on the Monday night drive near the apartment building where the murders occurred. Both testified that they heard hollering from the apartments and one also heard a young girl's voice say, leave her alone. And shortly after, one of the witnesses saw a white male a white male with shoulder length blonde hair jumped from the balcony adjacent to the child flinch apartment. Both witnesses reported this testimony to the police upon hearing of the murders. So there was witnesses who saw a white male person jump from her balcony window the night of the murderers or jump from the balcony, not the window. Excuse me. There was another witness say they saw her park her car near her apartment at 11 p.m. on Sunday. When he went to work at 5.15 a.m. the following day, he noticed the car had been moved. The DA instructed the witness not to discuss this observation with the defense attorneys. What is going on here? What are they doing? The DA acknowledged during the trial that he repeatedly moved this witness to different hotels for the purpose of hiding the witness from the defense counsel. So what the hell was they trying to cover up? Something, something, maybe he was innocent. After the trial, defense lawyers located David Ray Martin, who admitted that he had arranged to go out with Diane on the weekend she was killed, but that she stood him up and that he left a note on her door. Martin White further acknowledged that he had shoulder length blonde hair at that time. Martin has subsequently been convicted of another murder. So the guy that they let go, he had been convicted of another murder. Y'all see where this is going? David Brown, he went to several appellate courts to appeal this because he's saying that he did nothing wrong, that he's innocent, that he didn't do it, that he just he didn't do it. But what about the ring? How how did the ring get inside of her body? 
How did that happen? Did he go by there to see what was going on? Cause he heard noises and decided that he would go and see what happened. What happened? Who knows? Brown argued that his rights, his amendment rights were violated. His Sixth Amendment rights were violated because his lawyers was not able to go in and to inspect the house, the apartment where the murders occurred that violated his rights. Because the interviewer who interviewed other witnesses said they saw a white blonde haired man who was born and raised in Pinehurst where his parents, wife and children now live. Hmm. That he met Diane and Christina at a party thrown by his sister. Hmm. He said Diana had stood him up and he went over there to write a note and leave the note on her apartment door. The man claims that he left North Carolina. Because, you know, he only came there to visit his family. So when she stood him up, he left. The man had never been questioned by law enforcement officials. Had never before told his story. Several witnesses said they saw a white man with long blonde hair jumping from a balcony. What's going on here? Because Brown asserts that both the North Carolina and his defense team denied him effective assistance of counsel by the state. They was hiding the witness. So what? So so how did the ring get there? How did they find how was his ring found in the woman's liver? How? As I was researching this, they did not give a lot of information about how the ring was found, but they're assuming that, you know, he killed her. The ring was found. They never, like I said before, they never tested the blood to find out if it belonged to the victim or not. Why would, why did they not do that? They felt like it was a closed and shut case already. What happened? Two policemen even testified that Raymond Pate, a maintenance man at the child Finch's complex had reported seeing a long haired blonde white man jump from the balcony. Brown is a black man. The policeman according, according Pate's story, little significance, because after viewing the area again, Pate decided the man had leapt from the balcony of the apartment next to child finches. Isn't this some shit? Mm, 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 mm. 
Brown called Pate after hearing the policeman's testimony. Pate reported the same story of a man jumping from the adjacent balcony. Pate was leaving the complex shortly after 11 o'clock p.m. on August 25th, 1980, the night of the murders, when he heard a bunch of hollering and carrying on from the section of the complex that included the Chow Finch unit. Pate then heard what sounded like a little girl saying, Leave her alone. Leave her alone. A couple of bumping sounds, then silence, followed shortly afterward as Pate was driving out of the complex. He saw the man jump from the balcony. Hmm. They refused Brown his rights to a recess to investigate the policeman's testimony which Brown said this was newly discovered information. The court rejected the argument. Hmm. Why, why are they doing all of this? What's going on here? Cause the only evidence that they really have is the ring. The ring that was found inside of her body. And, and they still, Ain't saying how, you know, he's not saying how the ring got there. He's not saying what he did. He's not talking about that. Hmm. But he really tried his best to to say that he was innocent. Who knows? Who knows? No one knows. David Brown, he worked as a chef in a hotel in Pinehurst. On the evening of Sunday, August 24th, Brown was the disc jockey for a party at which he consumed a substantial amount of alcohol and took at least five ephenamines. Brown had a distinctive silver ring, which he wore to this party. Although he averaged that he took it off while playing records about one half hour after arriving at the party. At approximately 11.30 p.m. Sunday evening, Brown and a group of people left the party and went to a nightclub. Police officers later observed Brown walking on the highway near the nightclub at approximately 2.10 a.m., which is now Monday morning. Brown was walking barefoot, staggering, and carrying his shoes. The police officers gave him a ride to his workplace, the Pinehurst Hotel, and left him at the country kitchen entrance at approximately 245 y'all see that see how this is turning around right maybe he cut his feet while he was walking a supervisor at the hotel saw brown making a phone call from the hotel's front office between 2 30 and 3 o'clock a.m and brown left the hotel at 3 o'clock a.m brown testified that he arrived back at the hotel at 6 o'clock a.m though no one can independently corroborate his whereabouts until 7 a.m where a co-worker testified that she saw brown at work at 7 a.m with two band-aids on his left thumb and that brown was not wearing his silver ring brown told his co-worker that he was in pain and that he had cut his hand he had cut his hand 
A nurse at a nearby hospital testified that she saw Brown at the hospital on Monday night, at which time he was recovering from surgery to repair cut tendons in his left hand. Hmm. Hmm. The victims, they were last seen alive at one o'clock a.m. early Monday morning. Brown developed testimony at a hearing that suggested Child Finch may have been seen as late as 5 a.m. Child Finch did not go to work on Monday morning and did not phone to explain her absence. Co-workers went to her apartment and knocked but heard no response. When Child Finch did not arrive at work again on Tuesday, they called the police. And that is when the police found her. Several pieces of the physical evidence connecting Brown to the murders used to determine the presence of blood undetectable to the human eye reveal prints of bare feet in the kitchen. Police discovered patterns of blood outside the child finch's front door on the steps leading down from her apartment on the concrete pad at the foot of the steps. A fingerprint identified a Latin palm print on the bedroom wall as that of Brown's left palm print. At the door to Brown's apartment, visible blood stains were found on the concrete stoop. Hmm. Amazing, isn't it? And then that's when they did an autopsy and revealed Brown's distinctive silver ring underneath her liver. Hmm. So there are a lot of unknown answers, but he kept filing an appeal after appeal after appeal so that he would not get capital punishment, the death penalty, and it didn't happen for him. I remember Governor Jim Hunt. I remember him. Um, He denied it. And so he was sentenced to death. Um, Governor Jim Hunt says that he had given careful and deliberate consideration to all of the facts in the case of him and a jury convicted Mr. Brown of these brutal crimes on the basis of the evidence as the North Carolina Supreme court wrote guilt was overwhelming. A ring identified as one previously worn by Brown was found in the body of Miss Chalfinch, a bloody palm print lifted from the bedroom wall belonged to Brown, a bloody and broken knife blade similar to the ones owned by Brown and used by him and his work was found at the crime scene in addition to the blood at the crime scene. So, no. On Friday, November 19th, 1999, Junior David Jr. Brown was executed in Central Prison in Raleigh. I used to live around that prison. Um, So his final statement, the final statement of David Jr. Brown, Dawood Abdullah Muhammad 
was. O Allah, O Allah, condemn and lay a curse upon the killers of Dawood Abdullah Muhammad. Cursed be the people who did this injustice to me and cursed be the people who heard this and were pleased with it. Every true believer is a Hussein. Everywhere we go is Karbala. Every day we live is Ash Shura. And those were David Jr. Brown's final words. Do you think he did it? Hmm. Interesting. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Evil lives amongst us. True crimes of African Americans. My name is Queen Zawaya Counts. Stay safe out there in the world.